Welcome to the Collective Scope Podcast, where we talk to great leaders who are influencing the next generation. Welcome back to the Collective Scope Podcast. Jeff, you have no idea how excited I am about our guest today. And uh, we are geeking out just a little bit before the show with Lisa Bevere. And uh, she and her husband, John, have been in ministry for a long time. They are best-selling authors, teachers, the founders of Messenger International, uh, an organization committed to developing uncompromising followers of Christ who transform the world. I love their ministry. I love them. Like I said, I've been following for a long time, and we are so. And, and now we love their son Addison. And now we love their son Addison, who is just a legit, yeah, like baller in the gospel. It was, <laughs> baller in the gospel. I don't even I don't know, even know if we can say that. I don't know even. Baller just, in the gospel. The words are just you know coming out. But anyway, Lisa, welcome to the show. Yeah, Thank welcome. you for being here. Thank you. Well, you know, I can't be any happier than you calling my son a legit baller in the gospel. This is, this is going to be brought up at dinner tonight. I'm, I'm going to maybe even get him a name tag. Legit baller in the gospel. That, that's, can you post it on Instagram so we can see it? Like legit baller in the gospel. Like we want to see that. I can, I could possibly take your picture and, and post that, you know, That'll work. That'll work. did you, I mean, in Addison's book, he talks about how John, John took away his Michael Jordan poster. So I feel like this is redemptive. Oh, uh, good. Uh, John took away Michael Jordan poster. So now Addison gets legit baller. So okay. that's right. That's right. Full circle. Nothing wasted in the Lord. <laughs> it's redemptive. I love it. I love it. Well, obviously, you are a mom of four boys and a grandmother of, I believe, four, right? That is correct. Two granddaughters, two grandsons. That's awesome. awesome. But beyond that, you have such a, a spiritual mother's heart for the next generation. Where, where did that come from? You know, so, you know, there's the, the great thing is I turned 60 this year. And when God called me to minister to women, it, it wasn't cool. Like there was weird things. There was sequins in the morning. It was uh, it was, it, you know, I was young. I want to say I was about 22 years of age and God said, I want you to minister to women. And I said, I, you know what? I don't really like women. So I am great going overseas or being a missionary, but God, I, I don't really think I am a woman. Like I have a woman's body, but a man's brain. So I know I'm not doing women. And he, he didn't say, oh, I'm so sorry. I got the wrong person. I thought, I, you know, I got my kids mixed up. He, he didn't say anything. And so I said, all right, if you want me to minister to women, you're going to have to send me a mentor. And I don't know if I thought I was the one who got to set the parameters and the deals because I was stupid, because I was 22. I don't know. But eight years later, I'm still looking. I'm still looking. I'm pregnant with my third son. We're traveling and speaking. We're in a very frightening uh, motel. So we have five, well, I'm pregnant. And then John and I are in a double bed. Addison and Austin are in a double bed. And John tricks me into doing women's meeting. And he just said, Lisa, these women need you. And I said, well, you know, I, I, I don't like women. And he said, well, that's ridiculous because you are a woman. And I said, no, I, I don't like them. God didn't send me any mentor. I don't have to do anything. I'm not some package deal. Just because you preach doesn't mean I have to, I mean, like we're talking about every form of rebellion that could come out of my mouth, came out of my mouth. Uh, John told me that I was preaching the next day at midnight. I will say that in all fairness. 
and he had taken, I had one little teeny message and he had preached it that night. And so I got up the next morning and I cried out to God and I said, I can't even believe this. I can't believe you're asking me to preach to women. You know, I don't like them. And God said, I like them. I love women. I am the one who made woman as the answer to the very first problem. And that was, it is not good for man to be alone. And I thought, okay, you're right. You, I understand that. And I said, but you didn't send me a mentor. And then he said to me, for you, there will be no mentor. Mm -hmm. And he said, but everything you wish another woman would have been to you these last eight years, you begin to be. And I said, I don't know how to be it. And he said, write it backwards. So I remember sitting in that hotel room with my journal and writing, like closing my eyes and saying, what would she say when she saw me struggling with my kids? What would she say when she saw me encountering challenges in my marriage? What would she say when I said things like, I, I don't know how to hear from God. What would she say? And I wrote those things down. And um, that was the beginning of my ministry. You know, it, it was birthed in brokenness. It was birthed in, I'm going to have to be what I never had. And I have watched God bless it for the last, you know, 30 years. We have been in the ministry full time. And, you know, there was also, you mentioned Addison. That was a really big deal for me. Mm -hmm. You know, I said, I've just seen way too many pastors, kids that, are shipwrecked. I mean, they're hot messes. And I'm not, I'm not willing for that to happen with our family. So I'm not willing. And I, and again, I know this sounds really willful, but I said, I, I believe God, you are a father. So I believe my children are actually more important to you than they are to me. So yes. you're going to have to tell me how to do this, where they are not some sacrifice in, in the interim. And so that was a very, very big deal for me from the very beginning was that my children would be, and this is from Isaiah, that my children would be for signs and wonders and miracles, that they would be disciples taught of the Lord and great would be their peace and undisturbed composure. Mm -hmm. And I would love to say that John and I did everything perfectly. And that is why our kids are so amazing, but we did not. John and I, we do one thing super well. We repent when we mess up. We own our mistakes. We, we walked away from the table and would come back and say, I was wrong. And our kids would say, yeah, we knew that. But we're really glad you guys know that as well. So wow. it was kind of our life. You kind of you touched on something that, you know, you, you just kind of glossed over. But I think it was actually quite significant. We talked to Addison a lot about calling, which I know that, you know, something that he is writing about. But um you, you said that you wrote in reverse or you wrote backwards, right? You began writing backwards. Yeah. And, I, and I think maybe you can expound on this just a little bit because that's such a significant conversation to have, especially when it comes to calling and equipping to do the work of the Lord, right? So a lot of the college students that come into my office on a regular basis are struggling with vocational, ministerial calling. They don't know what they're here for. And I think they're trying to keep writing it forwards but rather maybe they should be writing it backwards. Can you, can you just expound on that a little bit? I know that's off script, but yeah. Yeah, no, no, no. There's, we don't have to be on a script. Um, yeah, so I guess I looked around and what I saw, and, and again, this is, my, this is the opinion of a 22, 25-year-old woman. Uh, what I saw 
was inauthentic. Mm. I saw a lot of people that I felt were surfacing it. So when, you know, like every, like we weren't, first of all, we got born again in a weird time. John and I got born again in the eighties, eighties and nineties. It was a weird time. Like you had to, you had to talk weird. You had to say things like in the natural, I am having a fight with my husband. Well, where else would you have it? You know, so, <laughs> so I'm like in the natural, I want to kill my husband. But Can I'm about to get yeah. supernatural, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Can somebody I help up, me? I grew up in that church, I understand. <laughs> yes, okay, thank you. All right, so we, we have a bond right there. And so I just like, this isn't working. This is not working. So I had to say, what conversations need to be had? Mm. What conversations do I wish somebody would have, have had with me uh, that I have actually made all the mistakes? Like, for example, let's just, let's just go to the really hard one. This was, this was what I did not navigate well in college. So we'll just go to that. So I ran away. I, I grew up in Indiana, super conservative, Midwestern town where Purdue University is. And I basically said, how can I rebel the most? I am going to the University of Arizona. It is ranked as one of the number one partying schools. I've had it with cold. I want to be in palm trees. I'd never been west of the Mississippi. I went to the U of A because I was number one, a heathen. Number two, I wanted to fully give expression to my heathen lifestyle. And I found out really quick how empty that lifestyle was. And between my junior and my senior year in college, I started to actually cry out for something more. I didn't even know what I was looking for. Uh, I was driving home from the University of Arizona, yelling out loud to try to keep myself awake while I was driving along with Angus Scott, ACDC, I'm on the highway to hell, when I was like, perhaps. <laughs> Perhaps I actually am. Perhaps this is not a song. Perhaps this is a reality in my life. And so I began to cry out for something more than what I had seen. And, you know, there's an old saying when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. So I began to ask around the campus do any of you ever wonder if there is something more? And they said, uh, What do you mean? And I said, Like, God being real or something. And they said, oh, you need to talk to this, this guy named John Bevere. He, he holds an all-campus Bible study. And I said, well, point him out. And they said, that guy said, oh, that's the guy that always tells me I look tired. I don't like that guy. He sees through my soul. He's like, your life is empty. I'm like, no, not that guy. Uh, but, but as God would have it, I came across his path and I thought, you know, I think I've been cussing in front of him a lot. I don't want him to think I'm a bad person. I'm going to ask a Christian question. So I, I said, hey, my mom thinks she's like born again. She thinks that she's like speaking in tongues, like one of those apostle people. She listens to preachers on cassette tapes. Don't you think that's weird? And, and John was like, what? He was like, hey, if you really want to talk about this, you can call me next week. And I thought, in your dreams, I am not calling you skinny little Bible nerd boy. I am not. So I didn't call him. But the next week he called me and he invited me to this Bible study picnic. And I remember, and I'm this is all for a reason. I remember going into that picnic and the Christian girls being mean to me. Mm -hmm. The Christian girls coming up to me and saying, 
we're praying for you. And I was like, that sounds like, I don't want them to pray for me. These sound like angry women. These sound like they're praying bad things for me. And I heard the gospel for the very first time that night. And on that first date with John, I got born again, filled with the Holy Spirit and healed. Wow. I, I don't even know how all that happens. John said, now you're saved. I said, what does that even mean? And he said, it means you're whole again, spirit, soul, and body. And I said, oh, so now that I'm a Christian, I don't have to have lactose intolerance? He was like, what? And I said, yeah, I can't eat dairy products. I'm Italian. I need to eat dairy products. And he was like, Jesus, if you can, if you can save this heathen, you can heal this heathen. And so basically, a year and a half later, we were married and... I had watched God do significant things in my life, but what I didn't see is when I came into the church, none of the mamas were watching for me. Mm. They, they looked at me and they said, oh, are her ears double pierced? Does she have a bra on? Wait, is she wearing pantyhose? Does she have a slip on? They, they were looking at me. They were not watching for me. Yeah. And so I said, okay, that needs to change. I am going to learn to watch for the daughters. Mm. I am going to give them uh, the treasury of my mistakes. I'm going to open up my life and say, I wish somebody would have told me when I was trying out for the sexual gymnastics team at the University of Arizona that the day would come where I would regret those choices. Yeah. I thought rebellion was freedom. And I've had to work hard to recover my virtue and move out of a sexual nightmare into a dream. I wish somebody would have told me that modesty wasn't about rules, but that modesty was about really consideration, about actually not confusing people about who I really was. I wish somebody would have told me that um, I could change everything. And here's the great thing. John and I, there's nothing that we like to talk about more than God. Yeah. This is not our work talk. We talk about the things of God all the time. And we didn't do devotions with our kids. Well, we tried twice and I got in trouble during them. I'm pretty sure Aslan got in trouble too. I, we, they were very awkward. And so we just said, you know what? We're not going to do these formal devotions. And again, I'm not making fun of people that do that. It just wasn't a fit for our family. We said, we're going to be devoted. We're going to talk about the things of God when we eat dinner. We're going to talk about the things of God when we're playing cards. We're going to talk about the things of God as we move through our day. We, we're just going to, we're just, it's going to be organic. It's going to be who we are. We are people who talk about God. It's about people that have that standard. Mm. And um, I was told, don't, 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 but I was never told why, why, why. And so that was important to me. And, you know, and, it, you know, in this devotional that I wrote, I, I, if this isn't a seven steps to strong, beautiful one, this is a, there's weak places in your life and God wants to take those weak places and he wants to anoint them and God wants to transform them. And I wish that somebody would have had these daily conversations with me. So I just had this incredible opportunity. The publisher came to me and said, we think you should do a devotional. I laughed. I said, 
y'all know how many devotionals I began to read and never finished. Like there's shame in my life about devotionals. I mean, there's just guilt. I can't, I can't write what I can't do. And they said, no, you know, don't do it 365. Let's just do 90 days. And I thought I can, I can do 90. And so, um, we just, we launched this during the coronavirus. Like who knew, who knew when I turned this in in February that God would actually give us the favor of saying this is due season. And we also, you know, so we have the book, it's out there. Uh, it's sold out on Amazon till the end of the month, but guess what? Target's carrying it starting April 15th. Uh, it's in all the Christian bookstores. It's in Barnes and Nobles. It's in books a million. We have it, but we also launched a free course for women. That was an online study because I said, I, I'm not going to not minister. Like I'm not going to make it so that somebody doesn't know key pillars of strength yeah. because they can't buy a book. So we have the book that's a devotional and then we have the courses and yeah. And so I have to be honest with you. I think one of my greatest strengths is not what I've done, but what I leave behind. And when I look at Addison, I, I just feel like the promise of Isaiah came true because I'm first generation Christian which means I lined my boys up every single night. And I said, you are for signs and wonders. You are for miracles. You are not for death and destruction. You are disciples taught of the Lord and great is your peace and undisturbed composure. And my kids were like, we don't even know what any of that is. And I said, it doesn't even matter. When you need it, it will be there. Be and I have watched all four of my boys become new and proved versions of John and I. Yeah, that's amazing. That's awesome. That's awesome. John was, was sort of the minister. You talked about it early on with, with the traveling and things like that. Um, you guys were traveling and he was itinerating as an evangelist. So I know you guys did some youth ministry work for a while. When did, did it for you, Lisa, become your calling? Uh, because a lot of times we, we position ministers' wives and they, especially in the church you and I grew up in, they have to play piano, they have to do certain things, they have to fit certain boxes. You have pushed outside of that by writing and speaking and traveling on your own and, and stepping to things God's called Lisa to. When did that take place for you? Well, you know, my husband has possibly been my greatest cheerleader. And um, God did tell me before I even married him, I was called to minister to women. But like, like, you, like you understood, I pushed back until I felt like he gave me the provision for it. And, um, so I want to say it was when I was pregnant with my third son, but I also had stepped out in some small roles before that. And John would sit me down when we were youth pastors and he would say, listen, I'm going to, you know, this is my message for tonight. I want you to be ready. At some point I'm going to call on you. Hmm. And I would say, well, I want you to be ready. I am not getting up. I am not some package deal. You cannot make me say anything. And he'd be like, Lisa, I, I'm giving you fair warning. I feel like the Holy Spirit is saying that you have something to share with the girls. And I'd be like, well, he hasn't said that to me. I'm not your package. I mean, like totally no. And then, you know, John would call me up. He would stick the microphone in my face. And because God loves those girls, I would open my mouth, he would fill, and then I would yell at John the whole way home, don't you ever do that to me again. That was traumatic. I can't believe it. I'm, and, and, you know, and again, I don't want to shock people, but I only have 
one eye. I lost an eye to cancer when I was five. So I'd be like, I'm a one-eyed wife. I am handicapped. I should not have to get up in front of people. And John just did not cut me any slack. He would say things like, you know what? You sound like Satan. I'm like, what? He said Satan was like, I will, I won't. I, and I'm like, wait, I am trying to hide. Satan was like, I will ascend. I'm not trying to ascend. And John was like, no, but you're your own. And he said, Lisa, you were bought with a price and you don't have the right to be comfortable or quiet when so many young girls need your voice. And then, of course, I would say, stop talking to me like I'm a congregation. I'm your wife. You know, you need to be nice to me. You need to be smart for me. So I do remember um, John had written Victory in the Wilderness. John had written a book called Voice One Crying. John had written The Bait of Satan. And I was always his editor. Um, and it was in the middle of working on another book called Breaking Intimidation when the Holy Spirit began to talk to me. And he, he just said, are, are you going to obey me or are you not going to obey me? Mm. You know, I, I meet so many young girls and I don't ever want to discourage this. Um, but I meet so many young girls that they really want to be in the ministry. That was not, that was not me. Um, I wanted to hide. I, I loved that John was out there. And I remember the publisher called me and they said, Lisa, we, we know you're very involved in John's editing process. We believe there's a book in you. And if you will write it, we will publish it. And I said, okay, let's talk about that. Every wife is anointed to edit her husband. That's what we do. We are always like, you could have said it better. Let me help you for the next sermon so that you will have it perfect. I said, that's, that's easy. Getting my own material and putting it out, that's, that's scary to me. And so they said, well, we think you should do it. And they said, what would you write on? And that was my time to say I would write on the need that I am not seeing met. And I would have to be super authentic. I would have to talk about my husband locking me in the garage because I threw a temper tantrum. I would have to talk about me breaking a window. I would have to talk. And they were like, wow, okay. And I said, because right now all the Christian books are I'm doing tea. I'm doing scrapbooking. I take a bath. I am wearing my right colors. I am wrapping myself when I'm naked in saran wrap. I mean, I'm like, what in the, who are these people? Who are these people? These people are not helping me. So I said, that's, that's not going to be me. And they said, no, you're right. That's, we need, we need more authentic. And so I wrote a book called out of control and loving it. And um, it, it blew up. I had no idea that was going to happen. I was, I was Addison's age at the time. Yeah. I was uh, 33 when I wrote it and 34 when it came out. And um, I've had the honor and the privilege of writing and speaking ever since then. And, you know, I don't know how many of you know this, and Addison may have brought this up. You know, I, I love it that John and I are best-selling authors. I love it that I have a New York Times best-selling book. But, you know, Jesus is more excited about the books that we give away than he is about the ones that we sell. And we have been privileged to give away over 31 million resources in over 100 languages over the last 10 years. And that's exciting to me. And I think that we need to flip 
some of this narrative and idolatry of how we measure accomplishment versus how God measures faithfulness. Yeah, yeah let's good. step into real time real quick, just on that particular topic. Right now, obviously, it seems like you're in your home. I'm not sure you may be in your office somewhere, I but I am in my home. We're actually in my office on campus, but we're probably two of the 10 people, 10 people that are on entire university campus, but wow. this is just where a recording studio is. So obviously this is a different day. This is a different time. Um, there seems to be a uh, tearing down of the idolatry or the uh, false sort of narratives of what we assumed or thought church had to be like today. Um, so I, I know that, you know, you and John are obviously very well gifted in, in these kinds of areas uh, because you've written about it, you preach about it, you talk about it. So how do you see a moment like we're in right now with the coronavirus and everything that's happening? How do you see this impacting local church, young leaders for tomorrow? What, what, what kind of comes out of, out of this? Well, and of course, I only can know in part and prophesy in part sure. on some of this. But I do feel like this is a pregnant pause where we can actually make some really good choices mm. in this season where we will come out stronger than we went into. And anytime God actually exposes idols in our life, he's not doing that to weaken us. He's actually removing the things that will weaken us. And I like to define an idol as what I give my strength to or draw my strength from outside of God. And, and there's people that have definitely had achievement as an idol or they thought their source was their job. Now, I, I know that sounds like, well, yeah, if I was working 40 hours, but you know, if ultimately, what do I have that God hasn't given me? What right. do I have that right. he hasn't provided? So if I've had anything in my life in a place where it shouldn't be, then God's going to actually begin to reveal, baby girl, that's, that's not how you want to build. That, that's, not gonna, that's not gonna withstand the test of time. And so idolatry is that removal of those things that would be obstructions, that would keep us from actually having an intimate, correctly aligned relationship with a living God. So I think, I think that all of us have had a pause button put on our life. And we can either say, okay, I'm just gonna hold my breath until things go back to normal. But I don't know if anything will ever go back to normal. I'm not saying, have, I have actually an expectation that we're gonna come out of this season and we're going to go into a season of harvest. Um, this morning during prayer, I, I heard in my spirit, those who did not compromise in the season of wealth and promise, which would be how we came into this, will not cave in a season of chaos. Mm -hmm. And so we have a chance to call God our strength and repent. Now, repentance has got a bad reputation, but repentance actually means to turn from something towards God. And it's actually a transformative process. And one of the things I love in the book of Timothy, where it talks about, it's a gift. It's a gift of repentance. And it actually says it helps us to recover ourselves, recover ourselves from snares, recover ourselves from things that lessen us. So I see this as a time of testing. And when God brings his church into a time of testing, 
it's to bring out the best in us. Yeah. yeah. It's different than a time of tempting. Temptation comes to bring out our worst, but testing is about our best. And so I believe, uh, I, I believe the promise of Isaiah chapter three, verse 10, where it says, tell the righteous, it will be well with them, that they are going to come out of a season where maybe there was weakness, they're going to come out in strength, or maybe they had the wrong source, they're going to have the right source, maybe where their priorities were not their family, were not the relationships, that God is putting us all in a crucible where we can face off with some stuff that we would have actually ignored for years in our busyness. Mm -hmm. And so I've really, I've really embraced this season of, all right, God, this is a wilderness and people don't like wildernesses because they feel void, but they're actually overflowing with the presence of God. It is the place where we find out that it is not by bread alone, but by, or toilet paper, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God that we are lived and sustained. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's an interesting paradigm or paradox you bring up about the wilderness because it, to use the word feels, it feels very lonely in the wilderness. And we use that language in church, like I'm in a wilderness season. We often use that language to describe seasons where we feel distant from God. Mm -hmm. But you make a great point that God was, was even more present in the wilderness. And you talk about you know, in the book of Exodus and the, the fire uh, in the night and the cloud by day, the presence of God was there. And when Moses would go in the tent, everybody would stand at the tent and watch the cloud stand in front of the tabernacle. Um, so how do we wrestle that maybe emotionally and spiritually that sense of not a, not necessarily abandonment in the season but sometimes it feels that way like the things we've known in the security are suddenly pulled from us and how do we respond in that well i think we need to be really honest and i think um i had i had a a gift today where four other women ministers we all just got on the phone together on a zoom call and we're really gut, gut level honest. It was, it's a different experience for all of us. There's different vulnerabilities and different personalities involved, but I, I love going to the Psalms and, mm. and looking at David and he didn't say, if I am afraid, he said, when I am afraid, mm. I will trust in you. And something John always says, any area where we have fear is an area we have not surrendered to God. You know, and so when I am afraid, I will trust in you. It, fear gives us an opportunity to locate where our trust is. Yeah. I'm not going to trust in going to the refrigerator. I'm not going to trust in social media. I'm not going to trust, you know, what, whatever it is. Everybody has different things. Um, I also love how simple Psalm 18 verse 1 says, I love you, Lord. You are my strength. And then... There we go. I love you, Lord. You are my strength. Then David in the ver next verse unpacks what that looks like. You're my rock. What does that mean? You're a, my immovable foundation. You are my frame of reference. Then he goes, you're my refuge. That's a place of sanctuary. That's a place of finding re retreat, a place of finding solace. Then he says, you're my fortress. That's a place to fight from. That's where I store my armaments. And he, he said, you're my guard, my shield, my screen from the enemy. He also says, you're my horn. 
I'm like, what's that? And it's actually the anointing of God. Mm-hmm. It's where he begins to pour oil out on us. And, you know, I think, I think that we all want to be more anointed. I know I want more of the anointing of God on my life, but we seem to forget that God anoints us in the presence of our enemies. And so it's not in this season of, hey, wonder. It's in a season of hardship because struggle is strengthening. And God will, he never said, you'll not have hardship. He never said, if you go through the waters, if you go, he said, when, when it's always a win, but somewhere along the line, because we haven't had necessarily persecution, people think people unfollowing them as persecution. Come on. That's not persecution. <laughs> yeah. No, no, that's junior high behavior. But you know, they think, Oh, somebody didn't like my pose. I'm being persecuted. No, we have, we have told a generation that they could be heroes without a battle. And God is saying, I'm sorry, you, you, you don't understand. I have told you in Ephesians 6 that you're going to need all these weapons and that this is a battle. And having done all to stand, we're going to stand there for, and we're going to stand completely armed. And one of the things I find with a lot of women, since, you know, we brought up women is a lot of women think it's wrong to be strong. Mm. You know, we, we have had messages sent to us that strong is wrong. But strong is not wrong. And God is the one who said, I'm God and I'm strong and I want you strong. So I'm going to give you everything you need. And so I think there's a lot of passivity that's been in our past of, I'm going to study the word. Well, yes and amen, study it. But you better live it too. And, you know, I'm studying the sword. Oh, look at its handle. Oh, look at its blade. No, you better wield it. Which means we need to actually pray the word of God. We need to live the word of God. We need to let it rightly divide between soul and spirit, joint and marrow, to locate our weaknesses so that he can make those things strong. And so I do feel like uh, we've had kind of this Christianity culture about, oh, when I die, I get to go to heaven and live however I want right now. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, yeah, when you die, you can go to heaven, but Heaven wants to invade our lives right now because there are hurting people and there are people that need us to rise up in strength, in hope, in love, and in faith and have an opposite spirit of extending blessing, of sowing, whether that's encouragement, whether that's finances into the kingdom. John and I, we immediately said, where can we cut our spending and increase our giving? That is, that is what we do in a time of famine. It said, Isaac sowed in a season of famine and reaped a hundredfold. This is not a time to not seed. This is a time to seed. This is a time to labor. This is a time to do the hard work because God is saying, I need my people to stop working out to look good in their clothes. I need my people to work out so they can do good and clothe themselves with strength. Amen. I just got permission. I just got permission to stop working out. Hey, listen, my husband is always like, look at my body. I'm so buff. I'm like, what are we doing with that? What are we doing with that body? I I think it was my wife. My wife follows you. She follows uh, Lisa Harper and some of of these other incredible women. And um, I think she mentioned in an Instagram story recently, Lisa Harper said, I may not have arms like Lisa Bevere, but I can still do 10 push-ups. Yeah, but she never did more than two. She did like <laughs> here, and then she did a new location on a trampoline, and then two here and two here. Uh, yeah, and I you love, know, 
I love calling people out on the podcast that can't defend themselves. This well, is maybe we'll awesome. get Lisa Harper on the show. Yeah, that's right. no, Lisa Harper was hilarious. That was the She's best. Fun. It was great. It yeah. was really yeah. funny. Yeah, and my but, arms, but she mentioned how strong you were, though, which is no, a great no, segue. She, well, she mentioned how my arms looked strong. <laughs> well, I'm skinny fat. I look one way, and I am a complete different way. Yeah, no. No. Listen, I, I, I was telling my wife, because we saw you, I mentioned this before we started recording, that we, we went and saw you at the belonging company when you were there ministering. And, and it, was, it was like 90% Holy Ghost and 10%, I was afraid Lisa was going to find me out. She had this like point thing going on and she was hitting it with authority. And I thought, if Jesus ain't finding me out, Lisa is. You know, I, I, I don't even watch videos of myself because it is so traumatic to watch what I do with my arms and my entire body when I preach. And I was praying and I was, cause I was actually doing a conference with Stephen Furtick and he said, Oh, you're the one who started this trend of full body preaching among the women. And I said, Pastor Steve, I live with five men. It was me saying, I am here. I am present. Listen to me. I know I'm the smallest person in the house. And then, of course, like I'd be fully extended. They'd pick me up and throw me on the sofa. So, yes, I'm, I'm sure there's trauma behind my preaching style. Well, let's talk about being strong then, because that is the name of the book and the name of the devotional. And you are in this in this book giving permission for women to be strong. What define what strong is in that sense? So what I loved is, and I don't have the list in front of me. But I'm going to try to do. I, I won't get all of them, but I'll, I will get a lot of them. When I was invited by Thomas Nelson to write this devotional, uh, I looked up the words for strong. And you know, there's not one negative synonym for strong. Harsh mm -hmm. is not strong. Mean is not strong. It is things like robust, fierce, fervent, passionate, brilliant, uh, deep, deep-seated. It's, it's all these incredibly focused words. They all are about strength. And then when you can discover a lot about a word by the opposite of it. So the opposite of strong is weak, fainting, dim, D-I-M, insipid, and this one I found very surprising, indifferent. Mm -hmm. So people who are weak don't make differences. They're indifferent. They, they refuse to actually press in to what needs to happen. So when God says, I am strong and I want you strong. Uh, it actually was important to me. I have, a, I have the privilege, and I'd love to meet your wife. I have the privilege of having a lot of spiritual daughters. You know, these are women who have come up in ministry and, you know, they, they'll call me and say, hey, I just came out of a really weird meeting and I felt really uncomfortable. I felt kind of shamed because I was strong. And, I, you know, and, and out of my spirit, I just said, hey, strong is not wrong. Yeah. But the flip side of that is our culture that tells us wrong is strong. Be aggressive, be harsh, be divisive, be slanderous, be critical, be dishonoring. No, those are not things. Rebellion is not strong. Rebellion is weakness. And I want women to understand that meekness is not shrinking. Meekness is strength under control. And it takes more strength to lift somebody than it does to tear them down or to hold them down. You know, I, 
I believed in a minimum of a 50 pound weight gain for a good baby. And we were so poor when we started out in the ministry. I remember being pregnant and outweighing my husband by about 30 pounds and straddling him and he couldn't get up. And I thought it was hilarious because I thought, hey, I'm strong. No, I was, I just weighed more than him because I was pregnant. But just because I could hold him down didn't mean I could lift him. And I think that God is saying strong women understand that they are guardians of the heart and they use their words to build rather than demolish. They use wisdom and kindness as their frame of reference because God actually really partners with women when it comes to this thing called intuition. And the word intuition comes from Latin intuer, which means inward tutor. And so we have an ability to sense things, sometimes about people, sometimes about timing. My husband is very much a visionary. He's going to be like, we are taking that hill now. And I'll be like, we are taking that hill in two weeks because <laughs> I understand timing. Why? Y'all have never birthed a baby. You have never birthed a baby. And when you birth a baby, you find out you're not in control of time, but you will know when it is time. Mm. And so that is kind of this dynamic where God says, oh, men and women, your power unions, stop using your strengths against each other and begin to use your strengths to highlight one another's strengths rather than point out one another's weaknesses. Mm. And so as a woman, I have made every single mistake possible. I'm pretty sure as a mom, as a woman, as a wife, as a minister, hallelujah, I'm so glad so many of my early sermons were not recorded. Uh, but I went through and I thought, what did I wish I would know? And so every single day I did not only a scripture, but a couple scriptures, a practical application, a prayer, and then a declaration. You know, so this, I'm looking at this one, it's confident and competent. And then I talk about, there's not one single area in my life I feel competent. I, well, okay, making pesto. I feel really competent in making pesto, but I'm talking about eternal things that really matter. There's not one single area, but I don't get my competency or my confidence in my own ability. I get it in Christ. Mm. So in him, I am more than enough. You know, you hear people all the time saying, I'm more than enough. You are in him. I'm certainly not more than enough outside of him. He's my source of life. So then I go through and then there's a declaration. I am strong because Christ makes me confident and competent. So if I think I am strong because of my Instagram followers, that's going to, that can be shaken. And God, God is saying, don't attach your strength to anything that is not under my control. And so we're going to give it to God. That's amazing. Um, this is a kind of a, a different question, but we can, you can either get as political or as theological as you, as you want to. Uh, you've mentioned culture and uh, certainly affirming the strength and of women, their calling, their place. Um, our culture doesn't necessarily always appreciate that, or even in some cases even allow for that. And that's been a historical sort of ding on the church, I think, and, and whatever, whatever that means. But in your opinion, where do you see women leading forward in the church of the future? You're raising up these spiritual daughters. 
how do you see them impacting, infiltrating, leading, influencing the local church outside of just other women? Because I think what you're saying right now so far transcends so far outside of a female conversation or a male conversation. This is a global church conversation. When we start talking about fear and idolatry and the anointing and all these things and, and our strengths and all of that stuff is, is a conversation that's bigger than just male or female. So how do you see these young women that you're raising up infiltrating the church, infiltrating the kingdom of God and making a difference? Yeah. Well, first and foremost, I believe that Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost, not just to save the lost. So I think we need to look at every area that suffered loss in the fall. And one of the areas that suffered loss was the male-female relationship. You know, God said, hey, your desire is going to be for your husband and he's going to dominate you. That's not like, oh, thank you. That's a blessing. No, that's not good. He also said the earth is going to fight you back. You know, you're going to work really hard and the earth is yeah. going to be difficult with you. He said there would be division, brother, brother, sister, sister, parents, children. Every single area of life suffered in the fall. So when you ask me, what do I think should come back? I think we need to go back to the beginning. It was God who said, it's not good for man to be alone. He didn't say the man wasn't good. He said, it's not good for man to be alone. It was God who said, it's, it, it's important that the woman comes out of Adam. She was always in Adam and that she has her own unique God-given voice and expression. And so what's happened, again, I feel like religion has said, oh man, let's blame the woman. You know, the, the woman, oh my gosh, the woman you put here, she gave me the fruit and I ate. Well, hello, the Bible says very clearly through one man's trespass and then through one man's obedience. So it wasn't about Eve uh, being always deceived. It was about Adam and Eve should have both used their voice on the serpent. And what the serpent always does is gets us to use our voices against one another. Men, shut up. It's our turn now. You guys have dominated. Get away. No, I don't believe that. I don't believe that for a second. I don't believe that women are supposed to rise and displace men. I believe women are supposed to rise and come alongside of men. I believe we need to model what God said. This is so good. This is so very good. So I believe churches are like families. I think ideally a family is the strongest when it has the voice of a father and a voice of a mother. So I think the church needs to have the voice of fathers and the voice of mothers because we're raising sons and daughters and i feel like the male dominated system is like adam alone it's not good it's not good it's not good so we need the women to come alongside and you know when you look at even the dna structure of men and women men are x and y and women are xx so when you actually heal the women they will begin to multiply everything they come in contact with, which I think is why the Holy Spirit has taken so much time and emphasis through conferences like Color Your World and songs like Women Worship. I feel like God is saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lift my daughters, never at the expense of my sons. I'm going to lift my daughters alongside my sons, and they're both going to remember that there's battles for the men to fight 
and battles for the women to fight. There are things for the women to prophesy. There's things for the men to prophesy. And they're going to stop using their voices against each other. They're going to stop manipulating and dominating. And they're going to start walking in dominion, which is what I gave them, which is this ability to exercise authority on behalf on behalf of other people, that they would lift, that they would create order, that they would actually prophesy answers rather than point out problems, that they would use their strengths in a multiplied way. And I, I have, you know, I have been writing for years and I, I have to be honest with you, I, I sometimes find it kind of sad. I wrote a book in 2005 where I talked, it, it was called Fight Like a Girl, The Power of Being a Woman. And I said back then, if the church does not begin to value its daughters, its daughters will go outside of the church. And if the church does not value female and male, and, and what those unique giftings are and begin to merge those giftings together, our culture will respond by blending the genders mm -hmm. to try to bring healing because they, they, they will think that gender is an issue of pain. And it's sad for me because I feel like we, we have not done it well. We have, the sons have not always loved the daughters well. And the daughters have now responded in anger and that's not the right response either because the wrath of man never works the righteous purposes of God, nor does the wrath of a woman. So I think that the question before me as a woman is, does my Genesis mandate still stand? Am I supposed to come alongside men and make what was not good, good again? Because right now men are not getting married. Men are not going to college. Men are hiding. And I feel like Adam, rather than looking for Eve, he's hiding from her. And so we need to remember that we are that one that takes what is not good and makes it so very good. And um, it's going to take a revival. It's going to have to take that we are, men are not hiding in porn, women are not hiding in porn, and that we are embracing intimacy, that we're embracing God's way. You know, I, it's in the book of Isaiah, I think it's chapter 41, where it says, God will show us the way he works so we can live the way we were made. And right now we are living the way we want to live rather than the way we were created to live. Amen. Yeah. That'll preach. Wow, that's good. Probably has preached. <laughs> yeah. but that's, I mean, that's good stuff right there. And, and I think we find it true here. The, the campus we sit on is primarily, not probably primarily, the, there's more women, young women than young men. In our school of religion, there's more yeah. young women than young men. Um, what you're saying about men hiding, I think is very true. Like we're seeing it at this level of young adults and, and Gen Z's who are coming into this campus who, who women can't find a, a man to marry. I mean, that's. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's a lot of, and I, you know, I love to read, you know, Addison and I are kind of reading buddies. So we read like Dojavesky together, or we read Jordan Peterson and we have conversations. He loves George McDonald. So I'm reading George McDonald with him. But here's the thing. A lot of people are saying that it's the women who have displaced the men, but I, I, I have a, a little bit of a, I have a problem with that. I feel like the men have oppressed the women for so long. And men and women used to be one. So if I actually oppress, I can't oppress my husband, but let's say I, I will oppress my husband. It's the, because I'm one with him, sooner or later, that's gonna come back on me. You know, because I, I'm gonna hurt him, it hurts me. And I, and I feel like the inequity and the wrong relation has come back 
And what the men, when they pushed the women down, God was like, that, that's, that's not good. The women have risen and rising is always a good thing. So I think if the men will repent, and I, I know that, again, I keep saying that word, but if they say, man, I've mishandled my strength. My strength was never to oppress. My strength was to surround women in an environment where they could be everything that God created them to be. That's what my husband's done for me. He said, Lisa, you know, I, there's more in you than, than what you know, and I'm not going to let you make excuses. And it, that meant it was uncomfortable. And, and I am going to say, you know, I've wanted to quit before. I've wanted to say, I'm not working with you. I'm going to go over here. But it is more important that John and I work hard things out together so that we grow in agreement and we fight for our marriage, fight for ministry, so that we modeled things for our boys. And Addison and Julie are so much better at marriaging, marriaging, that's not even a word, that marriage, it than, yeah, it is. <laughs> they're so much better at parenting. I was merging like my thought of parenting with marriage. We watch them and they have learned from our mistakes Yeah, and they're doing it better. And you know what? Asher, Sophia, Lizzie, and August, they're going to do it better than their parents. That's what it should be. Every generation should stand on the shoulders of the last generation. But I do think that the disparaging comments against women, the dishonoring of what God saw as something good, it, it needs to be reconciled, you know? Um, yeah. It needs to be repented of. I feel like our human instinct is to try to balance, but I feel like our spiritual call is to live in rhythm with the spirit as male and female. Does that, does that make sense? I mean, it, there's, there's Absolutely. a rhythm to it, to being a part of the spirit rather yeah. than a balance, trying to make everything equal. You're constantly yeah. fighting against or fighting for, but when you're with the spirit, when you're, when you're living by the spirit, the fruit of the spirit, the life of the spirit, there's a rhythm to that. There's a rhythm to, to both being male and female, to being one, you know, and, and also at the same time being uniquely created by God for God for a specific purpose and plan, you know, so uh, great conversations on that. And I, I appreciate your thoughts. I mean, because um, even, even here where we are um, in Tennessee, I mean, this is, this is a robust ongoing conversation on campus about about the male female relationships in terms of uh, power, in terms of authority, in terms of calling, in terms of vocation, and so we're constantly having these kinds of conversations. I feel like uh, here at Lee, we do a really good job of attempting to um, of attempting to heal and reconcile those those two realities. I understand um, you guys do do that. I've heard that. But it's, you know, it's not perfect and, and we're, we're fighting against culture and, and we're fighting against, uh, you know, stereotypes and, and traditions and, um, you know, so it's challenging. But I, I appreciate you giving your, giving your thoughts on that. And I loved your, I loved your explanation. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well Lisa, we are. Yeah, we are um, I, I was going to say, any authority I have is to serve. So. Anytime we don't understand that authority is for service, we'll misuse it. Yeah. So wow. that's good. I mean, I, I think I'd like to be adopted at this point. Like, I mean, like, is what time is dinner tonight? Like, you, need a, you need a fifth son. Tonight, tonight we're doing a big spaghetti dinner, and then it is going to be games. 
it's oh, going to well. be competition. We have six inches of snow on the ground. So we're doing Monopoly deal. We are doing uh, ping pong. We're probably also doing code names and maybe cranium. There will be losers. There will be tears. <laughs> there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There will be. There will be. I, I love that. Like, I love that so much. Like, I, I honestly, I, I, my wife and I sort of tease and, and we, we talked about Alex Seeley off, off before we started the show and Alex and Henry, I love. But if there was a couple that, that my wife and I are like, it's you and John. Like, I'm, I'm a little more emotive and my wife is strong. Like, there is no question. Um, and when you said yeah, like, you love to be strong. well, I'm not negating John's strength, but he has this sort of gentle demeanor and how he delivers things and, and sort of, we sort of match that. And, uh, my wife is, is, is a lot like you, Miss Lisa. So, oh, well, I'm going to take that as a compliment. It is. It is. It's high compliment, high, high compliment. compliment. We have one final question that we ask everyone who comes on the show. You mentioned you went to the university of Arizona. Um, but what we like to know is what is one lesson you learned in college that didn't take place in the classroom? Oh, that's a good one. Um, life is too short for frenemies. Um, I was trying to be with friends with people that possibly didn't even like me. And I ended up disrespecting who I really was to fit in. And it took me years to recover that. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. That's, that's great. amazing. Well, Lisa, we thank you so much for being on the show. How, how can people stay connected with you? Well, you know, social media is possibly the best way. Um, if they, if they want to be connected with me with a high majority of nice people, that would be Instagram. If they want a high majority of mean people, that would be Facebook and Twitter. But both of those are under Lisa Bevere. And I do have a website, Lisa Bevere, I think it's .org, that they could go to. And um, right now, all of our courses are free. Excellent. So what we're trying to do, since people are trapped, we're like, hey, here's 34 courses for your children. Here's courses on relationship by a counselor. Here's my courses, Moms of Men, John's Corns, Porn Free, all these different courses. And so they can go to any of those, find that. And um, of course, they can connect through us uh, through resources that we have books and um, Audible and eBooks. And yeah, we're just, we're just all over the place. Awesome. awesome. We are so thankful for the work you guys do with Messenger International for you and John. Now for our relationship with Addison and, and what he's doing with Saints and all of that. And we are grateful for the Bevere family. And we Absolutely. have an expression here at the Collective Scope podcast. We like to say that you always have a seat at the table. Thank you, Ms. Lisa. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Collective Scope Podcast. Would you do us a favor and subscribe, rate, and review, and share this on social media so this content can reach other great leaders? Yeah.